Shai Makunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai Tura Dhamma Ki Jai Navajit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai Gangame Juna Devi Ki Jai Kiki Devi Ki Jai Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai Samaveta Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to the assembled devotees. All glorious to Sri Guru and Garanga. All glorious to Sri Prabhupada, Mahatma, Vishnu Padaya, Vishnu Prasthaya, Bhutale. Sri Mati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Mati Namaya Namaste Saraswati Devi. Gauravati Pachani Nivasai Sasamani Kasvatari Sitani Vandehan Ki Guru Sri Jalapadakamana Sri Guru Vaishnavascha. Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Bhagavatam Gitam Sinasajivam Sajkirtam Sajitam Krishna Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Rupam Krishna Padam Sahagana Bhagavatam Shri Vishakantapashita Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate in life and how do we get it? Because everybody wants to be a success, right? Anybody here want to be a failure? No. You can go if you <laughs> This class won't be for you. So people talk about what's a success. What do people normally consider a success? If you have what? Money. Money. All right. If you have money, then you're a success. What else do people consider that if you have this or you are this, then you're a success? Health. Hmm? Health, health. Health, if you have good health. Okay. What else? Peace of mind. Peace of mind. So if someone asks you how your child's doing, and say, he's very successful. Oh, really? Tell me about him. No, he's very peaceful. I don't know how many, maybe some people in the modern age would consider that success. But definitely, if you, if you have peace of mind. What else? Status. If you have status in society, exactly. You have some position, some title, some recognition. What else? Bhakti. If you have bhakti, yes. But in modern society, is that success? In modern society, if someone says, how is your son doing? Is he successful? And you say, oh yes, he has bhakti. <laughs> Nobody will even know what you are talking about or to speak of considering that a success. But yes, that is the real success, to have bhakti. But generally people think money, status, good health, like peace of mind, you're not in too much anxiety, good mental health, nice family. If you can say, oh, I have a beautiful wife, and my three children, they all are honor students, they are going to, you know, top schools, then, oh, you're very successful. People don't generally think about bhakti. Uh, but Krishna here in the 8th chapter of Bhagavad Gita gives a very interesting explanation of what is success in life and how to achieve it. 
Now, generally, if you're studying something, success is measured through an example. And this is some kind of example. Because anybody can say, I was a, a teacher for many years, about three decades, and sometimes I would have children come to my school who told me, oh, I already know this. We used to teach the children individually. Everyone could go at their own pace. So if they already knew something, they could go ahead. I don't know if they do that here in New Zealand, but in America, where I'm sure you can all hear that I'm from America. So there are many universities that allow you to what they call test out of a course. Sometimes they call it challenging a course. So you go to the professor and you say, I think I already know this material. So what do they do? Do they just say, yes, yes, I believe you. What do they do? They give you an exam. And you know you've actually passed it if you take the exam. I would have some students, oh, I already know algebra, and I give them the exam. Sometimes they would, but generally not. So Krishna's telling us that our real success in life is measured by a very interesting example. He says, yam yam bhapi swaram bhavam tvajachan So ante means the end. Exams are usually given at the end. So the end for us means death. Now Krishna's already explained earlier in the Bhagavad Gita that really there is no death. We don't actually die. Just like when you finish a year in school, you don't die, you just go on to the next grade. What dies is our body. Like this sari I'm wearing, at some point, it will have to throw it in the trash. The sari will be dead, it will be finished, it will be useless. But I won't be finished. So the body is going to be useless. But I'm not finished. I'm eternal. So at the end of this particular course, this life is like a course. At the end of this course, I get a test, and that test is called death. That's all it is. It's just simply an exam. And Krishna says, what will you be tested? You'll be tested on your bhava bhavita. Prabhupada translates this verse, as whatever state of being one remembers when he quits his body, O son of Kripti, that state he will attain without fail. Now there are certainly many people in many religious groups who say also, that the time of death will be crucial for determining what is your future, what is your success. But often they measure that simply in something external, if you just believe something. So there are many religious institutions on the earth today who will say, you are a success, your life is a success, where you go at the time of death is a success, if you can say, I believe this and this and this and this and this. They'll have a creed. I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, or I believe in Allah and Muhammad. Just whatever, this is what I believe. But belief is where? Here. Or it could be your external practices. If you practice this and that, you dress this way, like here I'm dressing in a certain way, pretty much every day I'm wearing a sari, and tilak, and kunti. If you do certain activities, you have certain kinds of worship or puja, you say certain prayers, 
But Prabhupada often says that, yes, that's very nice, all those things. What you say you believe, how you dress, what you eat, what rituals you do, very nice. But the test is, where's your heart? That's the real test, ultimately. Because it is very possible for somebody to believe all the right things and dress the right way and go through all the right rituals and have their heart someplace else. Conversely, it's very difficult for somebody to do all the wrong things and have their heart in the right place. But it is certainly possible for someone to do all the right things and their heart is still elsewhere. The purpose of what we believe and the purpose of how we dress and how we eat and the different rituals that we perform is to put our heart in the right place. And that's real success. They were saying bhakti. Bhakti means love and devotion. And love and devotion as indicated through service. But not just love and not just service. Both love and service. To serve God, to serve the spiritual life is essential. But also to have that love for God. Now, how do we see this in our lives? All of us already have some love, some emotion, some love, some attachment for something. And that, my dear friends, is what has caused the body that we're in right now. If we look at the situation of our present life, what kind of body do we have, male, female, Indian, Australian, how much money we have, how much intelligence we have, what kind of family we're in. That was all caused by our activities and our bhav in our previous life. What we were attached to, what we cared about. Because, eko bahunam yovaridatikaman. Krishna is the one, eko bahunam, many, who's giving the many, kaman, their desires. In one sense, you could say that the Lord is like a very indulgent father. What we want, he gives us. We have to earn it, but still, what we want, he gives us. Whatever we are really attached to, that is what we will get. The problem is we're attached to things other than the spiritual. We're attached to things in this world. And even when we adopt the belief system, and even when we adopt the external behavior of a religious person, we can still maintain that attachment to this world. That Rupa Goswami calls Niyamagraha, two kinds of Niyamagraha. Either you don't take on the lifestyle of, of a religious person, or you take it on just externally, without it really going to the heart. So he's saying, take up the lifestyle, but have it go to the heart. Now, it's very easy to test what is our bomb, what is our attachment. All you have to do is notice, what are you thinking about all day? What are you worried about? What's our anxiety? Am I worried about how much money I have? Am I worried about, you know, what, my, what other people will think of me? Am I worried about uh, my appearance? Am I worried just about some family member? What's, what's going through my mind all the time? Is it a sports team I'm worried about? Or maybe an animal? All of us have some attachment already. As a living being, we have something that's pulling at our heart. And that is really the essence of who we are and what we want. And that thing that is pulling our attraction, that will determine our next life. 
by what we think about we're molding our next body. So Krishna's saying, instead of thinking about something material, think about me, think about the spiritual, think about God. And you may say, well, that's very difficult. After all, I'm in the world. I have to make a living. I have to take care of my family, my house, my car, maybe my dog, whatever. Of course, I have to think about these things. If I'm going to be taking care of my husband, I'm thinking about my husband. If I'm going to be taking care of my children, I'm thinking about my children. If I'm going to go to my job, then I have to think about my job. How can I do all those things and still think about God, think about Krishna, absorb myself in the spiritual? It seems that if I want to do that, then I have to give up everything in the world, go to the Himalayas. Of course, that's a long trip from here. Maybe go to the mountains on the South Island. Go someplace away from everybody and just, you know, live on berries. That's a little hard to do in the modern age. Just live in the forest. And it's just in Hawaii, you can do that there, but here it's a little more difficult. There, everywhere, there's avocado trees and mango trees and papaya trees. But we're thinking like that. How can I do it within the world? I have to either be worldly or I have to be spiritual. But the next verse, Krishna says, Tasmat sarveshu kaleshu, mam anusmar yudhyacha, mai arpita manobu hir, mam evasyasya samsaya. He says, Mam Anusmaram Yujjacha. Yujja means to fight. Krishna is giving this advice that whatever you think about determines your success, whatever you, wherever your heart is, to Arjuna, who's a soldier. And a soldier just about to fight a battle. Now, when you're fighting a battle, you can't exactly go into some kind of meditative trance. A battle is very engaging. You really have to focus your mind. You have to really think about what you're doing. And you have to really watch for the people who are trying to kill you. Right? On all sides, there's some enemy about to shoot you. Uh, these battles were fought on the ground, not with uh, weapons where you just push a button from a distance. So there's somebody right in front of you, you know, shooting a weapon at you. And you've got to shoot, it's very engaging. I would say that being a soldier right on a battlefield is probably more mentally engaging than any of the work that most of us have to do. And still Krishna said, Mam Anusmaram Yudhyacha. Smaram means to remember. Mam means me. Krishna is saying, you can think of me, you can think of the Supreme Lord, you can think of the Supreme Absolute Truth while you're fighting. Then you should always think of me in the form of Krishna. At the same time, carry out your prescribed duty of fighting. With your activities dedicated to me and your mind and intelligence fixed on me, you will attain me without a doubt. So this is the beautiful science of bhakti yoga, that one can attain full spiritual perfection, full samadhi, full trance, even while in the midst of one's ordinary daily activities. Actually, we all know how to do that. I'm sure that there are some times we're very busy in our work, at home, at work, at school, and our mind and heart are someplace else at the same time. Have you ever experienced that? Maybe you're worried about a distant relative. No, you, there's something that's occupying your mind and your heart, even though you're giving your attention to the work that's at hand. 
Have we all experienced it? And that happens either when there's something scary happening at a distance or something exciting happening. Maybe you're about to go on a, a journey in a few days and you're thinking about that or some relative of yours is sick or having some difficulty in, your, in their life and you're thinking about that. And you can still give your attention to what you're doing. You can still very expertly do your work, do your schoolwork, take care of your, whatever you're doing, but still your mind and heart is concentrated elsewhere. So it's, it's very possible. So Krishna's asking for that, and he's saying dedicate your activities to me. Saying whatever you're doing, do that for me. Do that as an offering to me. Whatever difficulties you go through, whatever austerities, say, my dear Lord, I'm doing this to make you happy. Whatever gifts you give, say, my dear Lord, I'm doing this to make you happy. Whatever you eat, offer first to Krishna. I'm cooking this, I'm eating this to make you happy. And have your mind and heart absorbed in him. Now, Rupa Goswami gives a very instructive explanation of how we progress from the beginning practice stages of this kind of remembrance of Krishna to full transcendental consciousness. He says, one who has not yet developed interest in Krishna consciousness, so a beginner, a materialistic person, should give up material motives and train the mind by following the progressive regulative principles namely chanting and remembering Krishna and his name, form, qualities, and pastimes, and so forth. He says, in the neophyte stage, one should always engage in hearing Krishna Kata. So we start out as beginners with our mind absorbed in material things. And we start to hear about Krishna. We hear about the philosophy of Krishna consciousness. We hear about how Krishna is dressed so nicely, his beautiful form. We hear about his activities. We hear about the activities of his devotees. We just simply start hearing. This is called Shravanadasha, the stage of hearing. By constantly hearing the transcendental holy name of Krishna and hearing of his transcendental form, qualities, and pastimes, one can attain to the stage of acceptance called Vananadasha. So one starts thinking, yes, that's very nice. We see how this works materially. We'll hear about some movie star, some sports hero. And after hearing, 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 after a while, one will think, yes, yes, that person is very nice, or that person is very interesting. We start to accept that hearing into ourselves. It starts becoming a part of ourselves. When one attains to this stage, you become attached to the hearing of Krishna Kata. So in the beginning, one hears just out of intellectual understanding. Yes, I'm supposed to hear about Krishna. Let me go to the temple and hear about Krishna. Let me open up my Bhagavad Gita every day. Okay, I'll spend 20 minutes a day hearing Bhagavad Gita. I'm supposed to do this. It will help me attain success in this life and the next life. Okay, I'll do it. And gradually think, yes, this is nice. Krishna is very nice. And after a while, you think, when can I next hear about Krishna? When can I next hear about Krishna? When can I have some time to hear about Krishna? Instead of thinking, oh yes, this is a Bhagavad Gita. Okay, this is my religious duty. When can I finish so I can get back to watching the football game? After a while, it becomes, why don't they turn off that football game so I can go back to reading my Bhagavad Gita? Uh, so that's attachment. 
one starts to really care, one starts to really uh, think about Krishna all the time. When can I hear about him? When one is able to chant in ecstasy, he attains the stage of smarnavasa, the stage of remembering. So after this attachment, after really caring about Krishna, one starts to feel ecstasy. Now even a beginner in spiritual life will feel some ecstasy sometimes. But at the point of deep attachment to Krishna, one will feel ecstasy 24 hours a day. And Krishna explains this very nicely also in the Bhagavad Gita. In chapter 6. Where he says that you will see the self by the pure mind, you will rejoice in yourself. You'll experience boundless transcendental happiness. Never leave the truth and think there is nothing better than this. He says, in such a position, one will gain freedom from all material miseries. So once one becomes attached to thinking of Krishna, and yes, yes, I really want the spiritual, one will enter gradually into the stage of continuous ecstasy. Then Prabhupada says, recollection, absorption, meditation, constant remembrance, and trance are the five items of progressive Krishna smarana. So as one goes higher and higher in thinking of the Supreme, one first recollection, one remembers, then absorption. One is thinking all of the time, yes, Krishna did this, Krishna did that. Krishna says this thing in the philosophy. Then meditation. It becomes at the core of one's heart, and then finally constant remembers. It's never broken. He says at first, remembrance of Krishna will be interrupted in intervals, but later it proceeds uninterrupted. So at first, one's thinking about one's ordinary life, and every once in a while, oh yeah, there's something spiritual in life. There's God. There's the absolute truth. And then again, we think of materialistic things. Maybe one's thinking of Krishna only one minute a day. After a while, it becomes five minutes a day. After a while, it becomes half an hour a day. Uh, pretty soon, no matter what circumstance one's in, one's absorbed in the divine. When remembrance is uninterrupted, it becomes concentrated. So pretty soon it's all the time, and then it becomes sweeter and sweeter and sweeter, and it's called meditation. When this meditation expands to become constant, it's called anusmriti. By uninterrupted and unceasing anusmriti, one enters the sage of samadhi or spiritual trance. And Krishna is saying this stage of samadhi can be attained even when you're fighting on the battlefield. That means it's not a stage simply where you have no knowledge of what's going on in the outside world, but you're in a different stage of consciousness. And Prabhupada says, after the samadhi has fully developed, the soul comes to understand his original constitutional position. At that time, he can perfectly and clearly understand his eternal relationship with Krishna. That is called sampati dasha, the perfection of life. That means when we attain this total absorption in the spirit, we get to find out who we are. As we were saying before, death is for the body, death is not for us. So who am I? We can speak in a general way, I'm a soul, I'm part of Krishna, Mamai Vamsa Jiva Loke Jiva Bhutta Sanatana. But that doesn't really tell me much about who I am. I mean, I can tell you about who I am in terms of this body. 
I can tell you what date I was born, where I was born, what parents I have. I can take a personality test and tell you whether I'm an introvert or an extrovert. I can tell you what political party I belong to, what are the things I know how to do well, what are the things I sort of know how to do, what colors I like, what food I like. Right? I, it's not just to say, well, I'm a person. <laughs> well, what kind of person specifically, right? I could describe my personality in terms of my body and mind. When one comes to the stage of samadhi, one can describe one's real eternal self. What do I really look like eternally? What do I like? What are my eternal spiritual favorite colors and foods and activities? What eternal service do I render to the divine? My actual eternal identity will awaken. It is something like coming out of a dream and saying, oh, yeah, I'm not really that thing in the dream. This is who I really am. So when one is constantly remembering Krishna, one comes gradually, step by step, to this awakened consciousness. Uh, various persons call it enlightenment, or awakening, or full consciousness, or samadhi. That is successful. And until one has achieved that, one's life is only, at best, partially successful. So that is the process and the goal of this Hare Krishna movement. We have the culture, we have the dress, we have the food, we have the activities. That's very important. But the purpose of that is to bring us to a state of awakening. To bring us to a state of enlightenment. Where we see ourselves, as Krishna says, to see the self by the pure mind and to relish and rejoice in the self. To know who I really am eternally. Not this body and not this mind, but as a soul. And to relate with God on the platform of soul eternally. Having achieved that state, then Krishna says, no one no more has to reincarnate within this material world because one no longer has any desires within this dream. So this process of bhakti yoga done correctly will bring us to that state of awakening or enlightenment even within the ordinary activities of life. But in order for it to be successful, we have to work very consciously at changing our heart, at changing our mentality, at allowing the process to touch us at the deepest level, not simply on the level of external rituals or culture. So I have about, I think, five minutes, if we have any. And then we have some chanting, and then we're going to be inaugurating our new library at 2.30, correct? Okay, after we have uh, some chanting and worship here, we're going to go to the new library building. As some of you may be aware, we used to have a very small library downstairs, which uh, Madhuri Devi Dasi was running for so many years. And uh, it's very interesting because the idea was that we were going to get rid of the library to open up the store. And at first, our dear Madhuri was afraid she would have no library. And she was very sad. And some of us also thought, oh, there will be no more library. We were also very sad. And now Krishna has arranged that uh, not that we have both things. The store has become bigger, and the library is now, what, three times as big, at least? And I said, now Krishna has given you back ten times. She said, no, one hundred times. So I thought this is such a nice lesson for all of us, as sometimes in our life, it seems that there is something going on that is not very favorable, that Krishna is taking something away. 
And we say, Krishna, aren't you happy with what I'm doing? Why are you taking this away? Why are you stopping this? And he says, no, 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 just be patient. <laughs> and in time we see that everything that happens, a prophet says in his purport to Bhagavad Gita 15.15, God is all good, God is all merciful. So we see that even the difficulties and reverses and painful things that happen to us in our life are really a means for Krishna to give us a greater gift if we just simply take it that way. So this inauguration of the library is not only a really great benediction for all of us here in the community, that our library has been expanded three or four times, but it's also a very nice lesson that sometimes things which seem unfavorable at first may turn out to be much more favorable than what we started with. And we'll be doing that at 2.30 after our chanting. We'll start the other program, Guru Puja, in five minutes. But if anyone has any questions or comments on what I've just talked about, you can ask them. Yes. Yes. So one of the offenses in, in chanting is to maintain material attachments. You'll notice that the offense is not to have material attachments, but to maintain them. So it is understood that when we first take up a spiritual process, naturally we're going to have many material attachments. In fact, we're going to have more attachments than we even know that we have. As one takes up this spiritual process, those attachments will become revealed to us. From within the heart, Krishna will show you, you have an attachment to something that is impeding your progress. So if you intentionally hold on to that and don't let it go, that is an offense to chanting. It's a very simple thing to understand. Suppose you want to become a tennis star, and you go to take tennis lessons. You get a very good coach, and you're paying the coach. Uh, just like I saw one lady was advertising singing lessons, and she, she charges $280 an hour. So maybe to learn to be a good tennis coach, you're paying $280 per hour. That's a lot of money, I think, for most of us, right? So the tennis coach is watching you, how you serve, and he says, you know, you're holding your arm in a way that's making it impossible for you to put full power into your serve. And he even takes some photographs and videos. He shows you the videos. He says, see, see your elbows off. He says, what you should do is you should move your elbow this way. Now, you didn't notice that before. You're just playing. Now, if you then say to the coach, I can't do that. Look, I'm really happy with the way I play right now. I like holding my tennis racket that way. Why are you giving me a hard time? So, like, no matter, even if you're paying $280 per hour, my guess is that if you keep doing that, your coach will say, I'm sorry, I'm not working with you anymore. You can pay me $1,000 an hour, but I'm not interested. So Krishna's also like that. If you're chanting, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Krishna, I want to come closer to you. I want to think about you. And he says, listen, there's this thing coming between you and me. You're so attached to your whatever. And that's coming between you and me. Please deal with it. And we say, you know, I don't want to deal with that. He'll say, okay, fine. You let me know when you're ready. Or in our relationships. You have a relationship with another person. And you've done something that's made them upset. And they come to you and you, they say, my dear friend, or my dear wife, my dear husband, there's this thing you're doing that's really upsetting me. 
it's really interfering with our relationship. And you say, I don't care. So you're offending them. Isn't it? So as we're chanting, Krishna is showing us these are the things that are preventing you from entering into samadhi. These are the things that are preventing you from becoming a success. These are the blocks. And if you say then, well, I don't want to let that go, I like it, then he'll feel offended. You're saying, you're coming to me, you're giving me your time, you're giving me your effort, you're asking me to help you, and when I help you, you kick me away. So when these things are revealed to us through the process, oh, I have this impediment, then if we want to progress, we should let that go. Is that all right? Some other question? Yes. We need some guide. Ultimately, the guide is Krishna in the heart. Uh, really, the only guru is Krishna, who's in the heart. Uh, but in order to hear Krishna, we need some external guide. Therefore, Krishna, after explaining all the processes of Jagya in the fourth chapter, he says you must go to a guru. You must find someone who can tell you what kind of sacrifice is appropriate for you. And the guru is understood as the external representative of the Lord in the heart. But ultimately, the only guru is Krishna. Because without Krishna in the heart saying, yes, 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 then you can't even hear uh, the guru. So they work together, someone external, and that confirmation from within. Okay, so thank you very much. It's nice to be back in Oakland. I haven't been here for about nine months. Krishna willing, I'll be staying the next three months and working with the school. So I want to thank you again.